Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! Joining us via the magic of the internet is Lee Younger. Yes, I'm here. I guess we're all joining you through the magic of the internet, but, you know. Also, it's a dark and unpleasant magic sometimes, but it's, it's the one we're forced to use. I like the idea that everybody that listens to Say That lives in Forest Park. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm the only person... <laughs> That's not around. If it weren't for Lee, we could we could distribute this by cassette tape. <laughs> It'd be very very convenient. Or or just Jed and I could just go outside and yell loudly and reach <laughs> most of our target audience. Podcasting format that's bringing back Town Crier. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> There's bound to be one. I get emails from a lot of weird podcast uh, platforms that want like you should join us. We're we're Pod Shouter, and I'm sure there's one that's Pod Crier. That makes sense. Pod Bard. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's very good. That's yeah, very good. You have to uh, use a mic you can use wearing one of those big neck ruffles. <laughs> well, we've got, we've got a great show lined up. We've got some of your fantastic questions. But first, we must start with a, a serious church emergency here. Oh. Oh, wow. And luckily, sometimes when we start with a... When I say serious, I mean in terms of magnitude, not in terms of uh, content, uh, content, because... This one was actually fairly lighthearted, but oh boy, um, we this was uh, just came across uh, my social media feed, but it happened a little while ago. A gentleman named uh, Carlos Happy NPO on Twitter put out a call: "Worst church service attended, go." We put that out on the internet, and there's you know, as you'd expect, a lot of boring, a lot of uh, wacky, a lot of crazy, a lot of you know insane bulletins and the pastor said something bananas. There's someone who has just responded Mark Driscoll's church, which I yeah. enjoy a lot. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> um, you know, there's anti-vax and mask stuff, you know, all bananas, but there was one that really jumped out to us and fired both our creative side and the side of us. that just has a lot of questions. And it's this one from a Twitter user, Cameron L Bishop. His answer is, that time at camp, they announced to us our youth pastor had died in a car wreck on the way to camp, and then while we were crying, he started speaking from the rafters he was hiding in about what hell was like. Dude. <laughs> what? Unreal. Oh, no. Wait, why was the youth pastor in hell? That's one of the big why questions. Indeed. <laughs> like, that's... You're creating aren't, a weird Aren't fiction. you the guy that's selling us the Jesus stuff? I love that he's hiding in the rafters. <laughs> like the three of us, and if you haven't, we've done enough uh, technical kind of stuff in places. You know, if you have a wireless mic, you can just stand right backstage. You don't have to actually be crawling through the rafters to make the uh, the make the effect work. He was committed to the bit, Matthew. <laughs> Sounds coming out <laughs> the same speakers. I was going to say, both Matt and I have witnessed the the skit Howdy Buckaroo enough times to know you can just stand right off stage. Yeah, you don't actually microphone. have to be behind the guy. That's the point of amplification systems. <laughs> the sound is all coming from a central source. I like the idea that where he was hiding, there was a very real chance that he actually was going to slip and actually die <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they wouldn't have believed it. No. No. Fool me once, Ricky. Get up. Dude, this is unbelievable. The, the the place I want to I want if I I would like to be is whatever room he first came up with it. 
Because, you know, yeah. you give them all to camp. And what do we do in the first night? How do we, oh, I got it. And there's that. And look, I've had stupid ideas. We've all had stupid ideas. <laughs> it's the fact that he, I'm, I'm presuming, uh, just if we were to camp situation that's large enough to, to be what we're used to, the youth pastor isn't in charge of the whole camp. So we had to run this by an associate pastor, a camp manager, somebody. He had to get the mic. He had to get the yep. tech team. He had to get the other leaders to like, somebody's got to make the announcement. And if anybody asks, where's Pastor Ricky again, answering, oh, I thought he was here. There were so many, I so many points where we could have pulled up and said, hey, is this insane? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, is this going to cause like a lot of therapy bills? Is this intentionally traumatizing people in the yes. hopes that they will be more open to our religion? Well, you know, I'm I'm no expert, but my understanding is that one of the key rules of of a lot of of comedy and of theater, and this is I guess sort of that, is never go for the obvious. And so, why hell? Why not um we could do heaven. That could that could be interesting. But yeah. why not purgatory? I mean, like, oh. make the kids think about it for a second. <laughs> like, that would at least be like, so, because, I mean, like, it's going to take you through the whole range of emotions, which is what good theater is meant to do. Like, first, there's relief. Pastor Ricky isn't gone from us. That's thing number one. But then there's kind of, is he in a better place? Not exactly. It's hard to say. I don't know if I want to be in purgatory or not. Maybe I need to think about it. Like, I don't need to make immediate changes because, I mean, it's not that dire apparently, <laughs> but I should think about changes in the long term. Like, now we're having a dialogue. Why not? Why is it Pastor Ricky in purgatory? Wow. Maybe it just didn't give him enough material. You know, he speaks in the rafters and it's Pastor Ricky speaks to us from beyond the veil. What's it like, Pastor Ricky? That's eh, fine. That's okay. Um, I feel like I'm being purged of my sins, but not like in an aggressive way. Like it's not that bad. It's yeah. It's it's fine. It, yeah, you know, we'll get there. Ever been the waiting in the line in the DMV? Well, you haven't because you're children. You've never been to the DMV, but it's not great. <laughs> You've all seen that Sing movie where the sloths are really slow. It's kind of like that. Just everything's <laughs> like that. Well, this is not the biggest detail, but it's definitely one. This is a big swing to take on the first night, <laughs> which really they had to do because you know it's uh, where he died. The Tony died in a car wreck on the way to camp. Lee Lee has done far more than I have at this point. We've both done a fair amount of young life camps, and kids have a lot of questions. And you need to be a fairly reliable, trustworthy source of information. Huh. So. What was running the rest of the weekend like, is my question. Mm. Look, we all know that there's some smart aleck kid who had just great lines that he that he was giving Pastor Ricky the whole weekend. I think it was it was I think it was you, Matt, that had like a you had a high school guy in one of your some small group that you led that that had the amazing line of can God make a burrito so hot that even he can't eat it? Yeah. Now that is a philosopher for our current age. <laughs> <laughs> but what what I'm saying is, you know, a kid like that with that kind of mind and that kind of wit was at this camp. And yes, there were a lot of people that were traumatized and they were crying and it's, it's horrible. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely borderline spiritual abuse. If it's not just straight up spiritual abuse, the whole, the whole thing. 
But I want to hang out with that witty kid for the rest of the weekend and just see what stuff he could come up with. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Pastor Ricky's got to get up at breakfast and be like, all right, guys, we're doing the ropes course 11. Like, yeah, sure we are. Like, you were in hell. We're going back. We're going back to play basketball. Yeah. Screw you, Ricky. Yeah. The other part, and this is maybe the biggest risk in the whole thing, um, other than, you know, again, traumatizing people totally necessarily and really putting you in a very untrustworthy position where you've shown yourself that you're interested in, in emotionally manipulating them rather than like caring for them or giving them trustworthy information. So none of that's great, but you also, and this goes back to the hell thing, you know, I'm pastor Ricky and I'm in hell. There's a beat there where somebody possibly goes, yeah, that makes sense. And now we have ah. a whole different weekend ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We got to figure out why they said that. Or just somebody goes, I knew it. Or, yeah. and this is <laughs> the, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Is we're trying to tell you all that Pastor Ricky has died. Silence. Yeah. yeah. Silence. Cough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, anyway. <laughs> that is, yeah. That is. <laughs> You don't want someone to raise their hand and be like, okay, but seriously, what time do we have to go to bed? <laughs> like, is there is there pizza? I said, is there pizza? Did Pastor Ricky... Oh, no. Did Pastor Ricky have the pizza in his car? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm upset. Well, there, there is one other potential wrinkle, and you kind of need like D&D kids for this, but... I love the idea of someone taking it completely seriously and saying, okay, Pastor Ricky died. Pastor Ricky went to hell. Pastor Ricky also escaped the bounds of damnation and returned to us, which means two things. A, Pastor Ricky is a demigod. Thing number two, I don't really need to be that worried about divine judgment because apparently I can get out of it. So I've gained a lot of hope this weekend by realizing hell is not terribly permanent. So I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like this weekend is a net plus for me. You're saying somebody gets up and gives the announcement like, kids, bad news and good news. The bad news is Pastor Ricky has died, and we're positive that he went to the lake of fire. The good news is, as you all know, he's a very talented fiddle player. (laughs) So he's back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How many? Okay. What's the over and under on on the number of listeners to this who understood that reference? Oh, I'm going to put it at a solid 30%. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's that pretty generous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was very good, though. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was well executed. We're not, we're, we're, not, we're not shooting high percentage shots. We just hope that the people who do get it will enjoy them. How many people are more likely to know a Carmen reference than a Charlie Daniels band reference? Oh, oh I'm sad now. Well, the other question is how many people are likely to get both? And that's, that's, our target, that's where our target audience lives. Yeah. 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 If you listen to this show, we're really grateful. We're so glad you're here. We can't believe it either. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the center of the Venn diagram of people who, um, you know, knew the Charlie, Charlie Daniels reference and know the Carmen, you know, a, a Carmen song that's exactly like that song. They also cross over in the went to VBS more than seven times. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I do like this idea of, and I, it's, if you're, no one should do this, obviously, but yeah, Pastor Ricky went to hell and he fought his way out. Now we've got yeah, a like theme it. for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. 
kind of a, a Thor-like thing of whatever it is, fighting off the ice monsters and whatnot, and then yeah. Zeppelin plays at a certain point, and there's kind of a quip. Like, I gotta be honest, that's the youth retreat I would sign up for. That sounds pretty rad. Yeah, I... I hesitate to bring up Spawn for the second time in two episodes, but yeah, you're welcome. Todd McFarlane plots out this youth retreat. That's something. <laughs> Again, much like much like the Charlie Daniels reference, it's not going to be for everybody, but it's going to connect with some people on a deep level. And it's going to be a weird weekend, y'all. <laughs> How great is our Spawn? Well, here and here's as we close out. Here's the the and obviously none of this was thought through. And if you're a, any any kind of putting on any kind of programmatic a uh, thing uh, for for your church or your youth group or your camp, uh, from three guys who've done a fair amount of such things in various um, situations, uh, one and I can't put this on him. Don't try to trick the audience. <laughs> it's really not what we're going for here. But here, here's a sense for you the let's be honest, probably white male come up with this to be aware of, which is when you think this is going to be great. Yeah. My not. elaborate plot is going to have a huge payoff. To Lee's earlier point, you would be so, you would get so much more authentic connection and movement done in your work. If you just said, Hey, I'm pastor Ricky and there's pizza. So let's hang out. No doubt. Also, now at this church, for as long as these kids go there, which probably won't be long, any announcement of tragedy is going to just have this weird, like, we're sorry to announce that head pastor Charles has been diagnosed with uh, renal failure. Where is he? Just any announcement of someone past someone sick is just going to be the entire youth group looking to the ceiling to see if they're scampering through the rafters. Yeah. Like the Phantom yeah. of the Youth Retreat. Wow. That's yeah. good. That's that's truth, another dude. if Pastor Ricky had come out with the half face mask belting about his his uh, his horrible descent into <laughs> damnation, again, you're gonna get some kids, not all. That's right. Oh, there we go. That's you know, Pastor Ricky died, but he fought his way out of hell riding some kind of mythical beast, and he's singing about it. I feel like you throw in some kind of sports reference and you're kind of getting a four quadrant youth program going there. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. More of the valuable advice we're trying to give people. And as, as, as ever in the things you talk about, strictly in the emergencies, the most valuable advice is don't do that. <laughs> it's great to have a thought of is it. And sometimes it's yes. Sometimes, you know, you do a, a an example or a song or a little drama is, it's very valuable. But you should always ask yourself, is this going to have any more impact than just saying this thing? Right. And the answer is often going to be no. And that's fine because saying the thing is easy and doesn't traumatize anyone so much so (laughs) that 20 years later, they're writing about it on the Internet and the entire Internet goes, oh, my God, that guy's insane. (laughs) And I was thinking about going to church. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I've never said my kid on Youth Street. Well. With that said, we will we will move on to your fine questions. Uh, I got some great questions from you in this week. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, "What does the sins of the fathers mean?" The Bible mentions God punishing people up to four generations, for example, in Numbers fourteen eighteen, but that doesn't seem fair. A, a very cool question. Again, we really always 
love the genre of question of people kind of pulling out these isolated things that get thrown around and church and sins of the father gets thrown out even in kind of just general culture stuff. It's one of those phrases that has stuck uh, in a big way. But Lee, what, what do we, where do we find out what it actually means? Because as our friend points out here, what it means on the face of it is, is a bit tough to swallow. It is. And it's funny. There's, there are some things in scripture that you, you can look at through one end of the lens and it looks like, I don't know, the, the cause and effect makes it look pretty intense and pretty spooky and, you know, and, and not very nice, certainly, as you've described. And then what you find in real life experience is sometimes those scriptures, if you turn the lens around, if you look at it from the other way around, it's not so much that maybe scripture is declaring, um, this is what God says he will do to people as he's meeting out judgment, but rather that scripture is declaring, let me tell you what happens. Let me explain, this is the way things often play out. Um, so let's just kind of talk about the way um, the way parenting impacts kids, the way modeling impacts behavior, the way that the way that experience um, affects the the way people talk, the way people see the world, the way that they act. What I'm basically saying is, in my experience as a pastor for gosh, now 20 years, um, one of the things that that I've seen over and over and over again is that that scripture that you're bringing out, it's kind of declaring to us, this is a pattern that happens in the world, which is you got somebody that's on some weird behavior or some weird attitude or whatever, and they bring kids into that situation, and this is the, the culture of the family, and this is what they model, and this is what they teach, and this is what they prize and that they talk about, and these are the phrases that this kid grows up with, and and it's the only kind of, they, they haven't, you know, it's like they grow up in certain kind of versions of unhealth, and they've heard it preached, they've seen it modeled, and they wind up going into a similar thing when they have a family. And you you kind of see this pattern develop, and then they bring children into the world, and and they model it, and they talk about it, and they've got the same phrases that they heard from their dad, and they just kind of pass this thing down for a while. And then what you find is that somebody reaches a pivot point where they say, that's enough. I don't want to do this. I want to see something else. I want to live something else. Maybe that's because somebody came into their life who does not have that particular kind of unhealth or that particular kind of dysfunction, and they see something else modeled, and they're like, I want that. Or maybe it's just a realization of, I don't know what parenting means but I'm just going to do the opposite of everything that my dad did and see how that works out because I don't want to be him and I don't want to have the kind of home that I grew up in. So what you find is like some patterns of unhealth, they get passed down for a few generations until somebody stands up and says, I'm not doing that in my family. We're going to take a different tack. Sometimes that is because of a community impact of just a different kind of person. Um, I definitely saw this with, I mean, I've seen this in the lives of people that I've had, you know, that I've gotten to minister to, or I've been in relationships with for years and years and years, where they're kind of the third or fourth in a line of people that have a certain kind of unhealth, a certain kind of relationship thing, 
or a certain kind of prejudice or a certain kind of whatever, and it's been passed down, and then they stop that thing and they and they take a left turn and they get their they start a different family on a totally different trajectory. Again, sometimes scripture you look at it a certain way, and if you if you read the cause and effect in one way, it looks pretty weird. And then if you look at the way the world works and the way the way families work and the way family culture works and the way homes work and the way people change, you can see that maybe all along the scripture was telling us this is kind of the way things go. This is kind of the the way the patterns of unhealth go until somebody stands up and breaks it. And I and and maybe I think that one of the things that God is saying in this scripture is I will definitely be a part of being a part of that that new trajectory, that new culture, and I'm going to make sure it sticks. And I'm going to make sure we're going to set up something totally different. A fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take it from there? Well, that's great stuff from Lee. I think as we often talk about when we're trying to understand a verse in the Bible, we really want to look at the context. And here's the context that's that's going on where this verse comes from. The verse that you're reading is Moses speaking, and it's actually Moses not only kind of making a speech but making a speech to God and kind of trying to placate God because um, the people that he's leading have been not cool about some things and God shows up and is pretty displeased about it. And Moses in this moment is basically trying to convince God not to just smite everybody. And so the context, at least to me, this is just the, the Jet International version. You ever like if you had like a job and, and your boss kind of got frustrated and there's kind of part of you like, aren't you looking great today? And I love what you've done with your hair and my what a great outfit you've got on. And it looks like you've lost weight. Anyway, let's not fire anyone. Um, that's <laughs> kind of what Moses is doing here. You know, if you if you read through th- what he's saying is, aren't you a great God and really impressive and really merciful, but also very vengeful? What else can I tell you that would be good? You're great. That that's kind of what Moses is doing here. And it's important to note both that it's in it's certainly in the context of a speech where it would probably make sense to view it as a literary device, but there's more evidence to view it as a literary device in that there are other verses in the Bible, including in the Hebrew scriptures, that literally say the exact opposite of this. So um Ezekiel eighteen twenty says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So even in the Hebrew scriptures, we have a direct refutation of the idea that your dad messed up, and so now God's going to smite you. Like, right. And so um, that you put all that together, and that's that's a lot of evidence for this is a literary device. Someone's kind of doing a thing. And for what it's worth, like Jesus employed literary devices too. If, if you're not clear when Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Jesus was not advocating you amputating your limbs. Um, if you've not heard that before, it would be good to be aware of that because actually literally through church history, people have tried that. So Jesus was making a point using a literary device. It was not meant to be taken literally. It was not looking for you to go and and wound yourself. That said, um, everything Lee's describing in terms of kind of the nature of families, it it really does apply. Uh, For example, in my case, my grandfather on my dad's side was just an awful man. He was just a bad person. 
And that has reverberated down at this point. I mean, I got little nephews and nieces, so I guess that's four generations of people. I'm not too good at math, something like that. Um, But the key thing is that I can decide to live differently and you can decide to live differently. And uh, the there's this really incredibly powerful combination of Jesus plus therapy that make living differently possible and likely. And I want you to know that God is not standing in your way. Like, there's a lot of people who just like to use the Bible to to scare folks. They're like, the sins of the third and the fourth. God's not standing in your way, dude. God wants you to have uh, life and life to the full. And not someday in heaven. He wants you to have life and life to the full now. Um, Jesus plus therapy is a really amazing combination. God is not holding the sins of your grandpappy against you or for anybody else. You don't need to be worried about that. If you're in a place where you need some healing in your life, go out and get it. If you're not sure where to begin with that, reach out to us. We'd love to help you figure that out. You are not under a curse, and don't let anybody tell you that you are. Fantastically put from both of these guys. They really covered that super well. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, what does Luke 12, 9 mean? In the verses, but whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. I feel like I've only heard that talked about in dramatic voice of the martyr scenarios meant to scare me into being more committed. A, a great question and another uh, kind of kind of follows along from that first one of uh, people using scripture to try to be very scary and spooky and, and actually in a weird way, uh, unfortunately, ties into the uh, something about the emergency of that idea of you will often hear this uh, when people are describing trying to spook particularly young people into a very particular type of uh, commit being committed or whatever. And uh, we, we can pretty safely say, given stuff we said already the episode that it's not that. So Lee, where do we arrive at uh, what this verse is actually trying to tell us? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to start out by saying, and this refers back to even some things that we covered in the, our previous episode, just to kind of about the Bible and speaking about the future and just how comfortable we, we need to be with the idea of humility I mean, there's just so many things in the Bible that if you just straight up pull a verse and ask me, what does this mean? I would say, I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. Um, and what I do know is that one verse that somebody plucks out of a place is not going to undo everything else we know about Jesus. And that's a really, really important thing for you to to, to hammer down and to know in your, to have that in your pocket, to be ready to deploy at all times. If somebody shows me some verse that makes me feel like I'm on shaky ground and all of a sudden I don't know who Jesus is, no verse, especially just kind of plucked out of the middle of a chapter, is going to make me feel or is going to undo other stuff that I know about Jesus. What other stuff do I know about Jesus? Well, I know that whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that uh, whoever hears his words and believes him who sent me, has everlasting life, has already crossed over from death to life, will not be judged. Those are all, that's just that's just a few things that we know about Jesus that not some other random verse pulled out um, cannot undo the mountain of, of witness and testimony that from the scriptures that says, Jesus has done everything necessary to take care of you so that you're not in trouble that you are not in trouble with God, you're not in trouble with Jesus, you're not awaiting um, you know, some awful, scary time of judgment. Um, 
it's funny. I mean, the the uh, the Gospel of Luke. You're the our question writers quote quoting the Gospel of Luke, right, Matt? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, Gospel of Luke. If and I don't know if you've ever done this before, uh, dear listener, but like, thanks to especially thanks to technology of like audiobooks and um, like there are apps where you can you can uh, pull up a scripture and you can just listen to somebody read it. And if you like commute to work or you have the kind of job where you've got certain tasks that you can do and you can listen to something that's unrelated to those tasks while you do them, um, or just like chores around the house or something like that, you could actually take in the gospel of Luke in not a lot of time. Um, it's, it's, it's not as short as some of the, you know, like the letters of the apostle Paul or something like that in the new Testament, but like, you could listen to the Gospel of Luke in, in one sitting easily, depending on what your kind of daily schedule is. And one of the f- things that you would find if you did that is that the Gospel of Luke, <laughs> it cares about the, th- there's stuff that Jesus cares about a lot, a lot in the Gospel of Luke that Christians do not talk about at all. And one of them in particular is, um, do not get super enamored with possessions and having a lot of money and make sure that you take care of people who do not have a lot of money and do not bring Jesus into quarrels about who gets the money because uh, a man's life does not consist of his possessions. That is also in Luke chapter 12. And, you know, it's one of the things that people that want to scare you with a verse like that what they want you to do is they want you to go to the into your local high school or into your community college or into the mall or something like that, and they want you to just get in people's faces and ask them if they if they died today, where would they go? They want you to witness. You know, if you if you come from a Baptist tradition, they want you to witness. If you were to just listen to the entire Gospel of Luke in one fell swoop, what you would find is you would be a whole lot more in danger of quote unquote denying Jesus if you just cared a lot about money <laughs> than if you were not a person that was witnessing. I'm just telling you, the, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus cares about, he cares about outsiders, he cares about the marginalized, and he cares about the poor. That's a whole, whole lot of what the Gospel of Luke is about. And, um, and so I just want to pair those two things together. One, no verse out of context is going to undo all the amazing stuff and the promises that we know about Jesus. Two, Whatever it may look like to quote you know quote unquote deny Jesus or whatever, why don't you take the whole context of Luke together and realize we need to care about the stuff that Jesus cares about. That may be a whole lot more important to him than me just walking around, you know, declaring with a megaphone, I love Jesus and I want everybody to be very clear about that and witnessing or whatever. We need to look at what his heartbeat is and what does he care about. Really great place to start that off. And Jed, what would we have to add? Well, I certainly agree with everything that that Lee said. Um, I think one of the things that's important to look at is that if you've been raised, particularly in the U.S., in evangelical culture, you have been fed one very specific idea of 
what standing up for Jesus or affirming Jesus or confessing Jesus would look like. And interestingly, to, to give credit where credit is due, the idea that you've been given is found in Scripture. So a really good example is the story of Stephen in Acts 6 and Acts 7, where um, uh, there were some religious people who were not fans of the burgeoning Christian religion, and they seized Stephen, and they basically said, hey, would you, would you quit it with all the stuff? And he preached a really fire sermon that landed on saying, you know, I'm totally into Jesus, and you guys were super wrong to do the things you did, and then they killed him. And evangelicalism has kind of taught for as long as it existed that that is what it means to stand up for Jesus. That's what it means to confess Jesus. That's what it means to affirm Jesus. What's interesting about that is if you look at, for example, Jesus himself being questioned by Pilate, you see a completely different version of responding to accusations. Yeah. Right? Like, authorities came to Stephen and said, what up? And he basically, he literally gave them a sermon. Like, it's, it's transcribed in Acts 7. It's, it's a full sermon. By, by contrast, um, Jesus is almost shockingly avoidant in his responses to Pilate like almost will not give Pilate a straight answer about anything. And just so you're aware, if there's an example that you're expected to follow, we don't call ourselves Stephenites. We call ourselves Christians. Um, That's not to take anything away from Stephen the martyr, but it is to say the example we're called to follow is the example of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not necessarily of Stephen. And you've been given the one as a model and not the other. Here's the thing I want you to to really think about, because this is important. Your life and my life is a constant stream of affirming things all day, every day. You've been taught that once in a blue moon, you will be put in front of, I don't know, a CEO or a president or something, and they'll say, what do you believe? And you're supposed to say Jesus in that moment. But the truth is— Or a college professor, Jed. Or a college professor. And Why do you believe in God, freshman? Um, <laughs> that has never, ever happened, is not likely to happen outside of a Pure Flix movie. But here's what does happen. Your life is constantly telling other people what you affirm. You could be affirming that greed is good, or you could be affirming that caring for the poor is holy. You are affirming something with your life. You could be affirming that— might makes right, or you could be affirming that mercy triumphs over judgment. You are affirming something everywhere you go all day long. Your life is making a confessional statement, quote unquote, before others all day, every day. The question is, what is that statement? Do you feel good about it? Are you pleased with it? Does it match what you think of as your core values? Does it match your faith? Are you sending out the statement into the world that you want to be sending out into the world? If you're not, good news, you can change that. You can, you can live a life that confesses with your actions what is true in your heart. If you are living a life where those two match, awesome. You're rocking. You're rolling. But so you know, the vast majority of witness that any of us present about Jesus or anything else to the world is presented with the thousand decisions that we make on a daily basis, not so much out of mostly fictionalized moments where we are confronted by the freshman philosophy class professor. Professor Hercules, we call him. Absolutely. He's very, very tricky. 
Uh, great stuff from both these guys. I would add a little bit to Jed's very, very good call of kind of trying to contextualize this. So if we look at Luke 12, first of all, um, it starts off with a very specific uh, audience to whom Jesus is talking about this. And it is literally people who are all for the most part going to be martyred. Um, so that's kind of, again, some, some things in scripture apply to everyone. Some have a context and there's things we're supposed to pull up, pull from them, but not a hundred percent what's, what's going on there. But it also opens with, uh, starting in uh, Luke 12, chapter one, uh, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. We're at Luke 12. Things are not super duper public with this whole Jesus thing yet. For any of these people, there's a lot of heat there coming down under the Pharisees. And again, but again, it's not be on your guard against the Romans who are going to try to come in as non-believers and, you know, make you question what you believe and stand up against things. Because I think our questioner asker is entirely uh, right that this verse, I think in a lot of senses gets used to say, you have to declare what team you're on. Don't be, don't be ashamed of your team and to say that you are, and there's a whole package of things that kind of comes with a Christian that they attack on there. Um, you like there's the very famous and apparently who, who knows who was there apocryphal thing that came out of the Columbine shooting in the nineties where there was a whole cottage industry made off. They, they asked us, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. And then they shot her. And a lot of people said like that didn't happen. And it's creating a, a legacy because they wanted there are a bunch of people who wanted that moment to exist. And even so, if that happened exactly the way they said that it did, isn't it kind of weird and perverse to uh, crunch down that young woman's entire life to that moment? Mm. Is that the most Christian she was ever being? I'm sure she was a kind person who helped people and, you know, sought forgiveness from God and prayed in earnest and, you know, uh, tried to. Uh, do charitable things and what is getting shot the most Christian thing one can do. That's a very, very odd uh, conception of the world. But then again, it goes on and this is the end of this kind of chunk. And obviously we know, but it's a good reminder that the, the scriptures were not written with chapter and, and verse headings. It was all added later on, but this is the end of this story before Jesus goes into a parable and verse 11 says, when you, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or about what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And it's very interesting. Kind of there, there's the bit in here that you've probably heard about, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet none of them are forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of all your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. And um, what I'm reading in this uh in this kind of chapter as we go through it is Jesus saying you, to Jed's point, you don't have to be scared, but also you don't have to think of a way to lie your way out of this situation. When you're hauled before these religious leaders who say, do you believe, were you with this guy or not? You know, don't be afraid. Don't try to come up with your own thing. But the very interesting thing is we have an example of somebody who doesn't follow this advice. That being Peter, 
who tries to come up with a split the difference. No, and just ends up lying and saying, nope, didn't know him, cussing out a young girl. And Jesus doesn't send him to hell. Yeah. He doesn't cast him into outer darkness. He literally founded the church. He welcomes him back in a <laughs> private conversation that literally is not recorded in scripture and no one else but Jesus and him heard and reinstates him to be the foundation of the church. So I think that tells us we can relax if we feel like we're not doing great on this in some way, denying having ever met Jesus as he was dying did not result in, in, uh, you know, Peter being cast away from his presence. I think if someone's like, do you go to church? And you're like, oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm not, I'm, let's, let's talk about something else. I don't think you're going to go to hell because you do that in the lunchroom, a conversation you don't want to have. So as ever, a big part of the answer is we can all relax. And as we do that, let's move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, how do I deal with setbacks? When I start something new, I'm very excited. But when I hit a problem, it can really take the wind out of me. And I think this is a very cool question. Something that certainly apply to so many areas of life. I think it has a lot of applications in spiritual stuff. You know, we get fired up about a new thing, but also just kind of work stuff and habit stuff and a lot of uh, cool uh, applications for some advice on this. And Lee, where would we start off? I do want to answer the question. I first just want to say, now I'm really curious as to what Pastor Ricky's conversations were like before that car accident. <laughs> Who did he deny knowing Jesus to that he was sent immediately to hell? Ne- at next year's youth retreat, Pastor Ricky's car accident, the prequel. I, I have a theory. I just want to put it out there. So Please. Consider this scene, daytime, automobile, interior. Pastor Ricky is in the uh, passenger seat next to his cool friend from high school who's not a believer. And his cool friend's <laughs> like, why don't you put on some tunes for us, Rick? And Ricky's like, I've got something you'll really like. And he puts on the latest hit from Skillet. And they start bopping along. And then his buddy's like, wow, this isn't too bad. Wait a second. This isn't one of those Christian bands, is dun, it? Dun, dun. <laughs> Single drop of sweat rolls down Ricky's forehead. Um, uh, uh. Maybe. And then it was too late for Pastor Ricky. He was damned. (laughs) The temptation of Ricky. There it is. There it is. Incredible. Incredible. Well, Nikos Kazantzakis presents the last temptation (laughs) of Ricky. (laughs) That's fantastic. And I love that we got the trailer voice at the end of that, uh, at the end of that scene set up. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about set, setbacks. I, I, I actually really love this question and, and I'm glad you wrote it in just because I think it's a thing that I, I really think everybody faces setbacks and challenges and just, man, this thing went sideways and I wasn't, I was really hoping and planning around that we were going to, you know, I was, this was all going to go a different way. I think it helps to think about, uh, about new things where you experience setbacks like training or learning some anything else new. So let's take it for one sentence, like for one minute out of the realm of kind of your spiritual life or what it says about your spiritual growth or anything like that. And like, just think about something like if you decided you were going to join a gym and do like some training classes for the first time, and you'd never really lifted weights before or done like, you know, Zumba or 
or any of those kinds of, you know, yoga or anything like that, you would undoubtedly have moments in that where that were really fun and exciting and cool and I'm learning some new stuff and I'm experiencing some gains. And then you would ha- also have moments where like the challenge sets in or you, you have some part of this that you just can't master, you can't do because you're just not there yet. And that would be your experience if you were learning or trying anything new, like if you were learning a new language. Um, if you were learning a new language, you would have moments that felt like you were just soaring along. You're picking up vocabulary and you're doing conjugation and stuff like that. And then you find out if you've ever tried to learn a language like Spanish that there's this word haber and haber is just so complicated and all of its conjugations and everything. And it's just this gigantic mountain that it feels like I'm never going to figure this out. I'm never going to understand this. This is the way any kind of new thing that you're doing, you're going to face these, you're going to face these kinds of setbacks and challenges. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. It doesn't mean that you weren't made to do it. It doesn't mean that you're not growing. It actually just means that this is a part of new things and growth is that you hit bigger and bigger challenges that feel like I'm never going to get past this part of it. It actually is an indication that you are growing. It actually is an indication that you are getting, you are expanding, you are getting better. If you decided out of, like, out of nowhere, I'm going to learn an instrument, you would experience the same thing. At the very beginning, you would experience some very rewarding gains. And especially if you got a good practice schedule and stuff like that, you would, you'd be growing and growing. And then you would face something that feels like I am failing. Um, that idea of, of failing in a challenge, that's just part of doing a new thing. When we, when we can kind of take this out of the realm of our own kind of spiritual growth, it, I think it's an easier thing to think about and an easier thing to accept, the idea that I'm just training. I'm going to experience setbacks. It doesn't mean I wasn't made for this. It doesn't mean that I suck or anything like that. It means that I'm growing. Um, growing is going to is going to include challenges and failures. And then it's how do you pick yourself up and respond to those things and realize this is a really cool phase of growing. It doesn't feel good. I don't like the experience, but I am growing and and this is just a piece of it. If we can change the channel of how that feels and get out of the the realm of some of that spiritual language that makes us feel like a gigantic failure, I think it's going to be an easier thing to accept to realize no, I'm just training. I'm just experiencing something new and I'm actually growing through this. A great place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take it from there? It's all great stuff. I just want to add in, and this is going to sound pretty unchristian, but hang with me. The most powerful thing perhaps in life and certainly in this situation is where you set your expectations. If you tell yourself that you are blessed and that you're highly favored and that you have the glow of the anointing and if God is for us, who can be against us and therefore everything should be great, you will be discouraged and disappointed because things are definitely going to go wrong because they go wrong for literally everyone. If you tell yourself, I expect things to go wrong and I'm going to make a plan for what to do when they go wrong, then you'll be great because I can't emphasize this part enough. Things are going to go wrong. Uh, whether you're uh, learning a new hobby or moving to a new town or starting a new career, if you're if you're attempting to do anything that involves growth, 
things are going to go wrong. That is an absolute guarantee. The question is, do you not roll with it? Right. So um, there's the expectation piece. Like if you don't expect things to go wrong and something goes wrong, it's going to feel like, am I cursed or has, has God turned his back on me or have I sinned or whatever? But it's like, no, I mean, things all, there's going to be something trying to go wrong most of the time. Then that, that helps a lot with that. And then we have to look at, do you have a plan? Do, do you have a way to deal with this? The following is a little bit of a silly example, but I like to cook. Um, I'm okay at it. Not everything that I make works out terribly well. Um, so I keep a frozen pizza on hand because the good news is I'm only ever like 10 minutes away from something edible. That's um, right. If my, if whatever it is, my duck Larange really takes a serious nosedive, I mean, like a tombstone pizza is maybe not as good as a duck Larange, but it's a lot better than a ruined duck Larange. So it's, it's all to the good. But like, if I tell myself, no, 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 I'm the next Julia child and I'm anointed and I'm called. And therefore every dish that I make, like no culinary weapon formed against me can prosper. So I just, all of my food is going to be perfect. And I don't have a frozen pizza on standby, man, I'm going to be awfully disappointed when it doesn't work out. And believe me, there's going to be moments where it does not work out. So, you know, Jesus talked a lot about using kind of very commonplace worldly examples of wisdom, including talking about like builders, like, you know, smart builders and foolish builders, guys who build stuff always have a backup plan. They always have extra parts. They always have a way to go back and and do that part again if they need to, because things are going to go wrong, man. That's, that's just the way that, that life works. So again, if you're telling yourself that there won't be setbacks, you are actually setting yourself up for a fall by doing that. But if you plan that there will be, and you have a good set of approaches of how to deal with those setbacks, you're going to do great. The one final piece is if you're not sure what the what your equivalent of the frozen pizza is, if you're not sure what your version of the practical workaround for when things go wrong is, find some subject matter experts, whatever it is you're working on. That, that could be a counselor, a therapist, that could be a pastor, it could be a personal trainer, it could be a teacher. It, it really depends. But there's somebody who can tell you what the practical workaround is. Find that person. Talk to them. And if you can't find them, reach out to us. We'd love to help you find that person, too. Then you got the tools you need to to keep going in the long term and get where you're trying to get to. That's absolutely right. I also think that uh, Jed has set us on the path to the great culinary creation of Duck Orange Pizza. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, that's something. That's certainly something. And if you're a roadside restaurant, and let's call it Indiana, um, 10 minutes from something edible is not a bad thing to put on your sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we've all had that thing driving through the interstates and seeing the McDonald's or whatever thing and thinking, ah, 10 minutes, it's not going to be good, but it is going to be edible. Yeah. And a great stuff from both of these guys. And I want, want to kind of talk about, uh, draw together the some threads they put there. Uh, Jed's idea of having a plan and Lee bringing up kind of taking this out of some personal stuff and not what it says about you. There's these things happen to everybody. It's, it's that great. I think it's Mike Tyson quote, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And here's the thing about your, your idea about kind of um, everybody hits setbacks, right? It is still going to be shocking to your system when you hit a setback. Yeah. Because most people, I know I do this. Whenever you start a new thing, there's a significant part of your brain that thinks, Maybe I'll be the person 
that none of the bad things happen to. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to learn this instrument. Maybe I'll be the one who never uh, hits a plateau where they practice. Or I'm starting to work out. I'll be the person who never pulls their hamstring and has to take two months off and loses all their gains. You know, I'm starting this new job. I'll be the one person who never misses a call when they need a meeting. Whatever it is, you think it happens to everybody, but I'm not everybody. I'm the chosen one. <laughs> exactly right. We all have our Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter theory of, but, and then there'll be that horrible moment when you realize, oh no, I am everybody. It happened to me just like it happened to all of them. And th where the plan comes in is having a strategy for what to do with that. Because yep. you need to have a strategy or some experience with the moment of, oh, yeah, I guess I was really hoping to not have to do that. But now I have to go through the emotional experience of I am actually going to have to deal with this thing that everyone deals with. Um, and it's going to suck. It's going to yeah. it's going to be a bummer. It's going to be a crushed hope that you were going to skate through without having to do that part, which is fantastic. It would have been great. Just not going to happen. So we do need that moment where we can stop, can start losing that little bit of ego that said, I'm going to be the chosen one and access all these things. We know now that this happens to everyone, that there's ways around it. There are probably people this has happened to before that we can seek out some kind of advice and guidance from. There's a whole host of things, but you do have to push through that moment of, Oh crap. This I'm just I'm down here with the rest of you. This is how this is going to be. And here's the thing: it's it's going to be sound like weirdly contradictory advice, given what I just acknowledged. Everybody makes it through for the most part. People miss the call, or you know, screw up the thing at work. Not everybody gets fired. People, you know, have to take some rest from their workout, or you know, people hit a plateau, or whatever it is, whatever spiritual thing. It's not there's nothing new under the sun in that sense. So there is probably our people have gotten over it. If you can have that moment of, okay, I'm just like everybody else and I have problems and issues. Then you can be just like everybody else who gets over them yep. and get over them. Yep. And that is a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Yeah. Okay. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. And tell you the song this week. This is from our friends, Pete and Tasha Lawson. This is a very fun version of come thou fount. Tell you that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. Nothing you can do about it. Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flame